Minus three is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. Download it. Must be 21 or older. Minus three with Dave Damashek. Hi and hello, sports fans. Welcome to Minus Three, week three of the NFL season. 2022 is just about in the books at the time of this recording. The Giants and Cowboys still have to settle their hash to wrap up the uh, the week three in full. A remarkable one so far because it has been so unpredictable in the sense that the brand name QBs. Now listen, I'm a Steelers fan and people are wringing their hands, but good over there about Mitch Trubisky and that offense. Well, take a look. Maybe uh, Misery Loves Company because Tom Brady, I don't know if you heard of him, but he's only uh, put it, putting up about a touchdown a game over there. Russell Wilson, that's Russell Wilson, the guy who almost forged a dynasty in Seattle, putting up 11 points for the Broncos. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offense isn't setting the world on fire in the meantime. Two and the Dolphins are the Jags. The Jacksonville Jaguars are two and one. The Chargers are in more dire straits maybe than anyone all of a sudden because their Jenga piece, you know, as I say, in the Jenga theory, you remove the wrong piece, the whole thing can implode. Rashawn Slater, their left tackle, now out for the season. I don't know what's going to happen for the Patriots because Mac Jones is going to be out for what looks like at least the next several weeks. They're not a world beater to begin with, but now who's behind Mac Jones to take the reins? Brian Hoyer, hard to get excited about that. We're going to try and figure out which of these trends that we're seeing so far are sustainable over the course of the rest of the regular season and which ones are about to turn into a pumpkin, as they say. Um, in just a second with our guy, Neil Kulong. Eddie Spaghetti, you're excited for Monday Night Football. What would you rather have? You get to choose. Aaron Judge hits 10 home runs over the course of the regular season. What's left of it? Or the Giants beat the Cowboys tonight. Choose. Oh, my, it's easy for me. It's the Giants. I mean, the Giants. Really? Dan, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't care about a, a single player home run record. A guy that is not even re-signed. I don't care about home run records at all, in the least. I, I, I don't. I don't care about sixty-two either, because to me, the record is what Bonds did. Um, and I, I need this game so badly, not because we work with so many damn Cowboys fans, but just the arrogance of them thinking they're going to win this game with their back, their trash backup quarterback because of the quarterback that the Giants have. Um, Daniel Jones has. I think only has the only victory he's has beyond a one o'clock start time was the game versus the Titans. The Giants have lost less eight or nine to the Cowboys. So this is a much needed thing. This will, this will like, they could be miserable the rest of the year, but if they go in this game on prime time with the whiteout, that'll change the entire look of this, this season. So I need this game terribly. Hey, listen, when you look on uh, Caesar Sportsbook over the course of the week, you may notice point spreads move around. Well, guess what? Damashek has an update. I'll give that to you at the end of the show about Monday Night Football, where I'm putting my money down. And by the way, as far as that goes, my weekly sidelines article, which you can find at Damashek on Twitter, I posted midweek. They're about 20 and 6 against the number college football and NFL combined. Not as good with our extra points picks um this past week but you know what spaghetti like i say the unpredictable nfl is doing it again let's see if we can figure some of it out at least with neil kulong here but first a quick word caesar cleo the mannings henrik lundquist and now yours truly yes minus three is now a proud member of the caesar's empire and you know what it is that sets Caesar Sportsbook and Casino apart from all the others? It's the perks. This is the only sports betting app with Caesar's rewards. So every time you place a bet, win or lose, you get reward credits, which you can use towards game tickets, bonuses, experiences, free stays at iconic Caesar's destinations, and more. And your very first bet, it's on Caesars, up to $1,250. If you win, congrats. If you don't, you'll get it all back as a free bet. That first bet also gives you 1,000 tier credits and 1,000 reward credits, putting you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. So download the app, use promo code CZRFULL, Caesar Full. And go full Caesar this season. Oh, and Caesar Sportsbook and Casino plays by the rules. They comply with all the legalities of the sports betting world. So here comes the lengthy, unabridged, national, responsible gaming disclaimer. 21 and older, 19 and older in Ontario must be physically present in, in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, uh, Iowa, Kansas, uh, Louisiana, Maryland, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York. 
Ontario and Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, or Washington, D.C. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Ohio, and Utah, and other states where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Virginia, West Virginia, PA. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER or Maryland. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org or in West Virginia. Call 1-800-GAMBLER.net in Arizona. 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, D.C., Nevada, Wyoming, Kansas. Call 1-800-522-4700. In Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. In Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. In Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. In Michigan, 1-800-270-7117. New York, 877-H-O-P-E-N-Y. Ontario, you can visit c-o-n-n-e-x-o-ontario.ca and in Tennessee call or text the Tennessee red line 1-800-889-9789 this podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza the number one pick in Detroit style pizza why it's simple Jets is better with the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any 8-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature 8-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Okay, here he is, everybody. He is the head of USA Today Sports Media Group, NFL Wire Network. We already made a noise. He's going he's gonna to take issue because I called him the head of it. He's, he, he's the brain behind it. How about that? Is that good enough? It's Neil Kulong. What's the poop, fella? You know, it's, uh, it's good. It's good. Today's a good day. Um... Just coming eh. off of a, a real interesting week three. We're uh, we're excited about that. Everything's good. How, how are things on your end? Well, I, I, I don't think everything's good. At least half of the pro football world is is falling, or at least it perceives the sky to be falling where their team's concerned. And that's why I felt it was important to track you down. You're anti-hot take. You're on the record as being such, we just need the straight poop here, Kulong. And so that's why I turned to you on this day to try and make sense of things three weeks into what we've seen before September wraps out. Okay. That sounds good. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll give it my best shot here. All right. We got to figure out sustainability with some of the trends we've seen within certain teams with, uh, with the 32 teams in general, but first things first here, big news on Monday, you saw it on Sunday, and now uh, the worst is uh, is now true. From a football perspective, for your Los Angeles Chargers, Rashawn Slater out for the year with a, an exploded bicep or something along those lines, that's bad news. Kulong, you may or may not know, I have the Jenga theory, which is that obviously in a contact sport like pro football, bigger, faster, stronger, the injuries are unavoidable. But the real trick is to avoid the wrong piece from the Jenga tower, because if the wrong piece is removed, the whole thing will implode on you. Am I getting hyperbolic slash histrionic on behalf of Chargers fans by saying there went their Jenga piece for Sean Slater? And of course, I do have to say caveat, we don't do quarterbacks because that's too easy. Any quarterback goes out, you're likely to be done for the season. Sorry, Patriots fans, too. Um, but how say you on Rashawn Slater specifically? And then I want to ask you some more on the Jenga theory here. Like I know one team that might not uh, might not hurt so much if their starting quarterback went down, but the Chargers definitely aren't one of them. I, I think uh, 
Rayshon Slater is clearly one of the best left tackles in the game. I wonder, top to bottom, the overall value of a left tackle. Um, It's not that it's not an important position. It's clearly being paid as such. A large part of that, though, is there just simply aren't many six foot six, three hundred and thirty pound individuals with uh, the quickness of somebody half their size and the strength of somebody twice as big as they are walking around the earth. That that puts their value um, in a considerably higher place. Is an offense? Uh, do the best offenses in the game consistently have? the best left tackles in the game? I don't think so. It's it's a very old school uh, philosophy, but an offensive line is a unit. They have to work together. The better the talent, theoretically, uh, the better the line is going to be. And it's not that they're going to improve without a guy like Slater there. But I I think if we were to look at the Chargers, I I think top to bottom, the way that they've used Mike Williams to this point, I I think he would be more valuable uh, than Slater will. But it really, it, it depends on, um, it, who the backup is, uh, what they were doing with Slater in particular, uh, him as an individual and not just Storm Norton, I think, who should yeah, announce I mean, he is the Storm. I don't know if he can make that happen with his with his hands and such, but he could at least make he, that claim. He's going to need to because the, the tape that he put down in in uh, um, in, in, in Slater's absence is not good. I mean, he, he really he struggled quite a bit. Um, there's a learning curve that you have to expect in a situation like that you're not going to get a high-level backup to a, a player that's already playing at an all-pro level. Um, Slater isn't at contract level yet, but uh, they're not going to back up a player like that with another high-end player. That only only makes sense. You only get so many spots in the roster. There's only so much money to spend. So um, we'll, we'll see how that turns out. But overall, as an offense, they got beat in every conceivable way on Sunday. Uh, Slater, his absence, that certainly did not help. I, I don't want to suggest at all that it didn't, but we could – probably make similar arguments with five or six guys minimum on that team. Um, and, and then Derwin say, oh, James, yeah, right. I, Joey I, I, Bosa I put, maybe, right. Bosa would be a guy that I would probably look at as well. I, I think um, th- the issue comes down to this. They were stifled for pretty much the entire game against a, a very good and very active front seven from Jacksonville. Whether Slater was in the game or not, they were getting beat off the edge. Whether it, it was the the overall effect of him not being in there that kind of led for the whole house to fall over or not, I, I'm not 100 percent sure of that. I haven't dug in too deeply to the tape, but they'll be for the, the immediate uh, future. They're going to be less of an offense, but I feel like you can scheme around the absence of a, a, a great left tackle being out, uh, along with it being, uh, you know, the the drop off. I don't think is going to be as as far if they get it coached up, if they get the scheme um, it ready as such so that they can do the things without him um, that they would have wanted to do anyway. I don't know if they're as good. Okay, they well, listen. Be able to still manage. Long story short, it's not the end of the season for Chargers fans, says Kulong. All right, there's a little bit of optimism right out of the gate for you there. I want to dig in on that team a little bit more in just a second here. But overall, Jenga theory discussion here, you know, I don't want to always be putting my I, I well I feel like the national and local media of Pittsburgh is so presents things in such a dire position uh, because Trubisky people I, I feel like are self validating to some degree by saying see I told you about Mitch Trubisky which is a straw man <laughs> as far as I'm con- convinced uh, concerned because who said Mitchell Trubisky was going to be anything other than you know, optimistically, maybe like the 20th, 25th quarterback in the league, which should be good enough given the way Tomlin wants to win games, which we saw him do in 2021. We saw work out in week one against the defending AFC champs, which is dominate defensively in the 21st century style, which is have not just a, a defense that slows your foe down, but actually turns them over. And who does that better in the NFL these days from the defensive side than TJ Watt? I feel like he is arguably the Jenga piece of the NFL. When you remove him, you suddenly can't win games playing the way the Steelers have played for the last, you know, at least more than a season, if not for the last couple of seasons. How say you? Is this salvageable, the season, that is, for the Pittsburgh Steelers, if and when they get back 100% T.J. Watt? The Steelers were a, a very thin house of cards team going into the year. 
They have a, a, a starting quarterback, largely uh, unchallenged, as it turns out, um, who, as as you said, was going to be probably no better than the 25th bet, best at his position throughout the year. Uh, a running back who's still not seeing the field the way that he should, a very porous offensive line, and some defensive playmakers highlighted by the, the reigning defensive player of the year, the only guy to get votes in the last three defensive player of the year votings. You lost T.J. Watt pretty quickly into the season. It, the question for me is how long is the house of cards going to stand up? And I, I think we've seen evidence of. Um, it's not made of cards. Probably, it's made of Jenga pieces, like their little Jen- wooden pieces. Yes, the, the house Please. of Jenga pieces that they Thank have. I, I think a, a, a keystone of that, pun intended, uh, it goes away quite. It, it, it'll drop quite a bit without Watt in there. And I think we saw that on Thursday against Cleveland. Cleveland's a good team. They had a very good scheme. Their offensive line played very well. But that's when you don't have uh, the return fire on the other end from a guy like Watt that can change a game on one play and frankly has a bunch uh, over the last two seasons uh, and and the limited time that he had uh, just in week one. He's a a transcendent player. He's a dominant player at a very valuable position. You take him out and replace him with just about anybody, nobody that you could reasonably acquire, you're going to be a lot worse and you can't work your way around that. You can't work around explosion. You can't work around playmaking. The absence of that on a defense that legitimately needed to score points uh, in, in order for the Steelers to win games this year. Without him, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it makes me wonder what the, the real definition of MVP is because by the, the Jenga theory here, um, I agree with you. I'd probably put T.J. Watt very high on that list and that that's a team that has no quarterback and somehow has, has managed to go 500 the last couple of years. Well, obviously, you know, I am a supporter of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I can see that uh, that um, blanket you have behind you. That makes you one, too. Uh, you were raised on black and gold football, too. But I think as one of the more popular brands in sports, we're, we're allowed to talk about them for another second here. Um, you know, Tomlin famously says um, the standard is the standard, which I'm fine with. That's a great rallying cry. You know, you can't start crying. When somebody gets hurt, you have to move on and and try and make the best of it. I do think, though, that the approach can't be the approach, which is to say when you lose T.J. Watt, don't they have to get more aggressive philosophically and and try to push the ball a little bit more and scratch out um, a few extra points along the way? I think they need to be trying to go for it in in fourth down situations, even if that is counter to the way Tomlin has operated for now a decade and a half. Two parts to that. One, I agree a thousand percent. There, there comes a point that you're going to have to try to, lead, you know, try to play in such a way that you're not leaving anything on the field. And they, they've done the opposite of that through the first three games. They're a terrible second half team to this point. I think a large part of that is because they, they keep things so one dimensional on offense that uh, Trubisky is, is checking down down three points on a do or die drive on, on third and eight. He's, he's dumping it off because he sees the blitz coming. He's not standing in the pocket. He's not delivering balls down the field. He, he's consistently in a, a, tw- a quick game mentality as in I'm going to throw off my back foot to make sure that I don't get hit and I can get the ball above the guy that's coming at me and complete a pass short and, and let my playmakers do something with it. He's been inaccurate to the point where I, I I haven't looked and seen it, but they have to have less yards after the catch than they've had in the last 10 years. I mean, the, their receivers are not being given the opportunity to make plays. Um, you know, a large part of that is because safeties are attacking downhill at the beginning of the snap. They're, they're not generating anything. And now you don't have your 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 best weapon. TJ Watt is not there to, to bail you out and to make plays on the other side so you can steal games late. Without that, I, I'm not sure how they're going to approach it um, because, to be honest, going into to week four, their game against the Jets, I, I, I think there's a lot of get right about this one. I, I think Trubisky uh, has an opportunity in this one to say, look, we can probably take a few more chances against this defense. We can challenge them because a turnover is not going to hurt us as badly as we have preached that it's going to. If, if Mitch Trubisky is being coached on anything right now that I'm a thousand percent sure that he's being coached on, it's don't turn the ball over. And that doesn't win you a whole lot of games. You're, you're, and you're going to get the results that you're getting. This is a team that, that will struggle to score two touchdowns a game on offense. So it, putting that together, they're, they're going to have to try to get the ball down the field. Um, I've said that before. <laughs> I'm not sure if that is something that uh, either Mike Tomlin or Matt Canada uh, are interested in doing at this point, but they're not going to win a whole lot doing what they're doing. Um, 
in a broader sense, you know, we talk Jenga theory, and then I do <laughs> want to talk about, you know, uh, try to go more global with the reality that is defense is winning a lot in September of 2022 at a rate higher than you generally see. Usually the defense starts to take things over or start to become more prominent around Thanksgiving. They're ahead of schedule collectively. I understand the Dolphins are out there and uh, the Bills are out there and so on. But for the most part, I mean, you look at some of these brand name QBs and the offenses that they're running and they are not setting the world on fire. Real quick, though, put you on the spot, your 2022 Jenga piece rankings. I have, and while you cobble your top three together, I'll just uh, throw some at you. I got T.J. Watt as number one, Micah Parsons with a bullet rising up the list now at number two. Uh, Aaron Donald, obviously, going to go down in history as probably the greatest defensive player of all time. I think that the Rams are built to survive his absence more. This is not a ranking of who's the best non-QB in the league. It's value to team. Rashawn Slater, I had four. You're obviously not going to go there. Chris Jones to the Chiefs. Obviously, when you are playing with a lead a a fair uh, percentage of the time, you need a pass rusher who slows down your foe who's trying to play catch up there. And Chris Jones does that. Mark Andrews, his value to the Ravens is pretty self-evident if you watch them week in and week out and the numbers are astronomical. Vita Vea in the middle there. By the way, I have a new nickname idea for for Vita Vea. He should wear the Tampa area code 318 and that should be his nickname. Vita the area code Vea because he's a big fella and 5-0 doesn't get it done. Darius Slay um, for the Eagles on the back end, George Kittle, we've seen his value in his absence, and then David Bakhtiari for the Packers. I hear your noise um, about the value or perceived value versus the real value of it. As far as that goes, our pal Daniel Jeremiah posited many moons ago, and I was fascinated by it, that you'd be better off with a good, and, and he was a quarterback at App State, of course, um, something that I've always um thought to be true that if I were a QB I would rather see the pass rush I'd rather have a good blocker to see the pass rusher versus the blind side the blind side is irrelevant to me because I'm blind to it I don't see it coming until it's too late anyway I'd rather know where the pass rush is that's in my face you know what I'm saying I do and it, it's it's funny that you mentioned that in in saying that Aaron Donald is is probably uh, going to go down to the best defensive player of all time. I can't really dispute that. But the amazing thing about the blind side, as far as a strategic advantage, is because of Lawrence Taylor, where he lined up. That's the level of fear that he put into the hearts of every offensive coordinator during his day. It was it was dangerous when that guy was on the field. You saw what happened to poor Joe Theismann. But ask Ron Jaworski. Ron Jaworski said sure. the only difference between him and, and Joe Theismann over his career was he didn't break his leg. I mean, it, he got destroyed constantly by Taylor. And it, 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 at that point, too, it wasn't, you know, the, the strip sack wasn't as big uh, of a thing. Taylor kind of coined that. And that's really more of where it comes from, because the best position you have to take the ball away from the quarterback as a pass rusher is coming from his blind side. Nowadays, though, I mean, it, it's it's one of those things that you want to have. But teams are ambidextrous now, both in, in uh, pass rushing and pass protection. Your right tackles and left tackles can be to some degree interchangeable. Uh, they want to play left tackle because they want to get paid. The, the pass rushers, though, it doesn't really matter to them. They can move around. A lot of defenses have guys. Um, almost positionless in their front seven anyway. They, they can go to, to multiple spots. So it, it's it, that, to me, to some degree, kind of lessens the tackle piece. The one that stands out to me, though, Sheck, it, as far as the, the non-QB Jenga piece value is the tight end. You mentioned Kittle. I would have put mm-hmm. Kittle high on that list. Uh, we haven't seen him at his best yet this season. Uh, Travis Kelsey has been instrumental in a great offense the last couple of years. Our guy no, Jeff Schwartz has been singing songs about Travis Kelsey when it was uh, the focus yeah. was on is Tyree Kill the most unstoppable guy. He has consistently said the guy who cannot be replaced, the guy who makes that offense go at its heights is Travis Kelsey. And I guess that's hard to argue with uh, three games into this season as well. That's right. And I say Mark Andrews too. I don't know what that Ravens yeah. offense would be without him. You know, it was a good one who I didn't think about that's a fun one. But now that we're on the Ravens, Justin Tucker, I wonder... If you had a league a, a league average kicker, 
on the Baltimore Ravens, how many fewer playoff appearances and division titles and otherwise they would have. If they, and I'm not talking about a bum, not Billy Cunda for the last 10 years. I'm talking about just, you know, middle of the pack kicker guy versus the greatest of all time of that position. It's a fun thought experiment, at least. Ask the Detroit Lions about that. I mean, yeah, right. yesterday, I, I don't know what Dan Campbell was thinking in, in choosing a 54-yard field goal from a kicker who missed two pretty badly from, from lesser distance before that. Um, if you have Tucker, they win that game. I know that that's simple, but it, it, it's almost impossible to have a bad kicker unless you've made a bad decision on your roster, too. Kickers are so much better today than they, they were 20 years ago to the point where there are loads of kickers that are staying in shape right now. They're, they're kicking at their high school field. They're running, they're doing, you know, leg presses. They're rolling out their quads, get staying flexible for the opportunity uh, to replace the lions kicker, which I can't imagine they're going to keep him past this week. And in that they went to college knowing how to kick at, at, a, at a very high level. You get, you, there's, there's depth behind kickers. You know what, what happened with the Steelers, the Steelers, um, Whatever happened to um, I'm Jeff blanking Reed. on his name. Not Jeff Reed. Post Jeff Reed, the, the Jaguars kicker that, that oh, melted down uh, in yes, 2015. Uh, Maurice Jones Drew, oh son's favorite player. Maurice Jones Drew was on the Jacksonville Jaguars, and his son's favorite player was Josh Scobie, the kicker. Scobie, yes, <laughs> Scobie, it, it, it um, didn't work out so well. Something, something happened. Just put it at that. You, you feel terrible for him on, on a on a personal level. The Steelers had a kick a, a tryout between Kai Forbath, who was a, a veteran NFL kicker, Randy Bullock, who I believe um, stuck around for a, a, a training camp with somebody before, and Chris Boswell, a guy that literally no one had ever heard of before, coming in. Boswell wins the competition on a rainy day at Heinz Field. He made nine out of ten, and the others had eight out of ten. I think they give Boswell the job. Seven, eight years later, Boswell's working on his second contract extension, which is almost unheard of for an NFL kicker. Beyond like the top five of them, though, there are 25 open jobs week to week because eventually one of them is going to do something like the Lions kicker did yesterday. Hot take or not, this is uh, I feel the reality. Everybody swoons about, oh, got to have a number one wide receiver. Got to have that guy. Don't have to have that based on the teams that make the Super Bowl. What you do have to have is a nails kicker. It's very hard to win the Super Bowl in the 21st century if you don't have one of those top tier, let's say top 10 kickers. Uh, By the way, you mentioned Jaws. I feel like you could do a string out of uh, a 20 minute highlights of Ron Jaworski getting strip sacked by Lawrence Taylor, which then leads me to, to to ponder what it would look like if you had a full career of Carson Wentz with Lawrence Taylor chasing him down. That would that would that would go on for about 17 hours or something like that. All right. I'm an NDSU grad, man. Come on. Go Listen, easy. Listen, I thought he was gonna be go great easy. too. And he was he was oh, great for he was great for a season in what, 14 games? We, we don't even know what happened. It, it's got to be saying that. It's just I best get, not to talk about it. <laughs> we I don't get, get into it at all. One, one last Steeler question, and then I want to talk about another AFC North uh, quarterback situation. Um, you know, everybody wringing their hands on the banks of the Three Rivers. Got to go to Kenny Pickett, and I'm not against that. I do think they need a spark. As I say, they need to figure out a way to create some points given the way things are flowing right now. They're not dominating defensively on the level that they want to. Ergo, they need to scratch out, um, you know, some some more offense when the defense is a little bit down. Um, to me, the change that has to be made is Sam Howell for Carson Wentz sooner rather than later. How say you? I, I really like Sam Howell. I thought with the amount of time and, and attention the Steelers put into scouting him, I thought the Steelers were going to take him. Um, I don't know if the Steelers were planning to draft a quarterback in the first round. I think, I think uh, by the way, I'm interrupting you because I think you're right. We talked with a few people during draft season who said basically that this was the case. A lot of people were pointing at Sam Howell to the Steelers, which made all the sense in the world because of what you're saying. The assumption was that the guy that they wanted or one of the two guys that they wanted wouldn't be available to them. And so they would have to get him in the late, you know, trade up into the late first or get him in the second round. So, yes, continue. I'm sorry. I think that that adds up in that way. And what's also kind of uh, parallel to this is the fact that if there is something at the NFL level that Mitch Trubisky does well short of buckling up his string, his chin strap is the RPO. 
We haven't seen a whole lot of success with that so far. I don't know how much they've really been running it. But uh, for what we've seen of Trubisky through his career, he was pretty good with the RPO. And that's what Matt Nagy coached when he had success. It was usually off of that. The Steelers haven't been able to kick that into gear yet. But Sam Howell ran a lot of of RPO. And that's my thought was this is what Matt Canada really wants to employ. This is the direction the Steelers want to go in, in the new world that they find themselves in. It, it's, it's, I don't want to say cutting edge, but it's a, a way to neutralize a defense that otherwise is attacking you left, right, and center. So if you don't have great protection, the RPO is a way to play that. Um, a, 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 you're able to play it against a good pass rushing team. Where they're not, throw the ball and run to that spot. You need a quarterback, though, that can read that. And it's really hot and cold. And I, I think that, without the hot part, probably describes Trubisky's career. He, he he threw five touchdown passes in a game once. You know who else did? Nick Foles. You know who was a great RPO quarterback? Nick Foles. He has the, the largest delta between the, the t- his top game and the bottom game of any quarterback in NFL history. Joe Flacco gives him a run for his money in that regard. But it, it it's not a gimmick. It's just a part of... Uh, the game that he plays very well. Trubisky showed some ability to do that. So it, to me, it was like they're moving in this direction. That's why I thought how how would have been their guy, but I think they liked Pickett more, and I, I could see why they would want Pickett. But it, it's it, it shows kind of what they were trying to do. But Howell is a solid player. He's performed very well. Um, everything I heard about him in, in training camp at Washington's, yeah, basically he's he's probably going to be the guy next year. And they feel great that they got him in a bargain. What next year? Do it now. The, 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 the dig no. your heels in thing with, with, with Carson Wentz, the results are in. It's not going to work out there, I don't think. And, you know, I think that – you know, at the time of this recording before uh, Dallas and, and the Giants get it on, you know, th- I know the Eagles look great and everything else, but there's no reason to scuttle the season before we even get to October 1st here. And I think that Hal, again, is another guy. You know, we've seen it any number of times. The idea that like, well, he's a rookie and we don't know how many times have we seen the vast majority of first round rookies. I mean, he's a second round uh, rookie, but how many times has a rookie quarterback gone in and immediately made an impact? The the cynicism around that is so vapid. When I get the Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers sat for a year before they took over, but there uh, there are uh, ten examples to every one of those of a guy coming in and and doing just fine and actually sparking an NFL offense in his first year. I mean, you don't have to go back more than ten years to see that that happened for Washington with RG three. All right, up the Beltway a little bit. That's the Beltway, right? D.C., Baltimore, Um, Lamar Jackson. Back to what's going on there. An MVP season. And now let's jump into, um, I'm not sure how we should call this. We're three weeks into the season out of a 17-week schedule. I don't know how much we're supposed to dive into the things that we've seen so far and accept them as solidly true for the duration of at least the regular season. The postseason is a different animal. But just for these next 14 games, it's kind of like the football is oblong, and so too are two yellow items. The, the, the football is brown, but it's oblong. A banana is oblong, and a Twinkie is oblong. But a Twinkie will last forever, whereas a banana may not make it through the week. So... Let's go through some of these things that we've seen and try and figure out which ones are a Twinkie and which ones are a banana. You, you're picking up what I'm laying down here, right? Yep, definitely. I'm just okay. wanting a Twinkie now, though. I haven't had a Twinkie in probably a quarter century. Am I missing I out at this point? I, I have a problem with Twinkies. Like, I'll, I'll eat a whole box. You give me a glass of milk and, like, a movie, really? I'll crush a box of Twinkies. I, I never grew Boy. up past that. I don't know why. Huh. <laughs> I love Twinkies. I've gotten fancy. I've gotten fancy with it. As a matter of fact, I saw there was a a big buzz last week about crumble cookies and people are down on them. My old man's one of them. He's like, ah, they're too expensive. They're too, ah, your mother makes better cookies anyway. Like, well, listen, love Mo's cookies and her uh, brownies and everything. I don't know that she makes better than those. They are spendy. Man, they're marvelous. See, I'm I, I've now uh, I've become a coastal elite, I guess, at least where um, <laughs> mass packaged uh, baked goods go. I, I go for the fancier end of things. Anyhow, um, so yes, things are bad offensively 
in Pittsburgh, but I could just go blank. That applies to about half the league. Let me give you a little sense of what I'm talking about here. Yes, you can focus in and wring your hands about your situation, and this applies to Denver Broncos fans as well, two and one though they are. Tom Brady's Bucks scored one touchdown against the Cowboys. They were shut out in the first half against the Saints. They scored one touchdown against the Packers. Joe Burrow's Bengals, who everybody was over the moon for, one touchdown against the Steelers, one touchdown against the Cowboys. Derek Carr's Raiders, playoff team last year. Then they add Devontae Adams. No touchdowns in two halves of football over the course of uh, six halves of football so far. Kyler Murray's cards, people, you know, a flawed team, but people like Kyler Murray, no touchdowns versus the Rams, no scores in the first half against Vegas. Russell Wilson, the aforementioned Broncos, one touchdown against Seattle, one touchdown against the Texans, and one touchdown against the Niners. And then you have Aaron Rodgers Packers shut out in the second half by the Bucks on Sunday, one field goal in the second half against the Bears, and one score total against the Vikings. The point is defenses are winning or something's afoot with offensive football in 2022 how say you is this trend going to continue with even the big name qbs i i would say this it's impossible to bet against offense in the nfl every rule is slanted that way that's where the bulk of the money goes quarterbacks are too protected right now they're underachieving in my mind i want to start with with Carr. that one surprises me Derek Carr has been, a, 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 at minimum, a competent quarterback uh, throughout his tenure. And I'm certain Josh McDaniels, if, if you ask around, ask people in the league, they'll all tell you, regardless of whatever happened with the Colts, he's one of the finest offensive minds in the game. It, to me, it, would, it kind of felt like a no-brainer. And on top of that, they're going to solidify it by spending a boatload on Devontae Adams, who might be the best inside and outside receiver in the NFL. The fact they're not producing right now is bizarre to me. But I, I think that's a situation which it, it's going to regress to the mean here after a while. They should be a lot better than they are. Why they aren't at this point, I'm not sure. Aaron Rodgers not going to stay down forever. The Bucks own him and have. He got the win in this one. But it, it, him leading an offense to 14 points is not rare for for uh, for Rodgers against Tampa Bay. Uh, the last couple of years, that's usually been the case. Um, Brady, I, I – I hate even attempting to comment on people's personal lives, but let's just say I, I listened to a podcast once hosted by one of the two of us here where they were talking about issues domestically that come up don't tend to have a great connection with the overall success of a player in a season. Seems like that might be the case right now. Kyler Murray, I don't think is uh, – Kyler Murray is not a real on-schedule uh, type of quarterback, and I think Cliff Kingsbury wants him to be, and he doesn't want to be. He's at his best when he's running around for 20 seconds playing video game backyard football um, and throwing a, a one of the best passes we'll see all season for a, a, a two-point conversion. Um, a, a boatload he's of He's centipede. I was looking at him and wa- watching that play. <laughs> yeah. He is He's like the old video game centipede, <laughs> except he's trying to run away. Like, he doesn't come at you like, what's he going? We can't catch him. Like, he's, uh, how are we supposed to get him? He just keeps working his way back and forth, uh, the uh, serpentine style, away from us. And when you get a, a player like that at the end of a game where he has the stamina to do what he just did, you can see the defensive linemen, and they were almost falling over into the blockers after a while. It's like, please don't run around. Oh, there you go. Never mind. There's not much you can do, and, and he'll end up making a play because he, he's that kind of athlete. Having him do that over four quarters is not going to be a consistently outstanding uh, uh, result, and I think we've seen that in Kyler uh, up to this point in his career. But he's they're going to have better games offensively than they have. It, the arrows pointed up. For offense. I don't know where we sit right now. This is just my useless two cents. I don't know if this is the offense truly is just underachieving or its defense has become dominant. They, they have managed to lock down every key players. Throw Mahomes in there, too. What did Mahomes do on Sunday? I and threw him in there, yes. He didn't score a touchdown he, in Indy. Just, just not effective at all. It, and it's, it's, were, it not for a terrible, were it not for a terrible – um defensive hold in Arrowhead against the Chargers, they wouldn't have scored a touchdown. They would have gone into the locker room yep. with a zero at the uh, on TNF, uh, two, you know, whatever that is, 10, 12 days ago at this point. Yes, I'm talking about the brand name QBs are underperforming or the defenses have figured something out inherent about what the, the high-end QBs like to do. Now, the other side of it is in the same state of Florida, while Tom Brady kind of, you know, 
finds his footing. I don't know. And by the way, I am philosophically, I don't need to know, don't want to know, think it's borderline inappropriate professional athletes. Do we need to know about their personal lives? But with wagering a factor now, maybe we do need to know about that. And it is fair for us to know a little bit about that. But in the state of Florida, the Buccaneers are what? The third best team now? Because you have the Jags riding high. I mean, two straight whippings of AFC contenders, perceived contenders, the Colts and then the Chargers. That's hard to call jive. Um, And then you have the undefeated Dolphins. That's a funny thing when you think about it. You go Dolphins, Jags, and then Tom Brady's Buccaneers in in, uh, the Sunshine State. Um, Jags, let's start with them. Sustainable? Are they a banana or are they a Twinkie? I think they're a Twinkie in the sense that they're going to be around. Um, If anything, I would argue that while I, I think Los Angeles is the team that really is kind of flatlining at this point, and Jacksonville just kind of ran them out by the end of it, Jacksonville is the team that's going to improve the most as the season goes on. Doug Peterson uh, getting hired by the Jaguars is going to be seen easily this year as the best move that was made by any team this offseason. And it, this is it, it's, it's compounded by the fact that they got rid of, my opinion, the worst coach in in the history of modern sports. From what we saw of Urban Meyer last season, from the time he was hired until the time he was gracefully fired, everything he did in there, and I'm not talking about losing 10 consecutive games. I'm not even getting into the game part of it. The way that he managed the team. You're talking about his thumb? His thumb in Columbus? Yes, yes, among other things. To, To have done that and the manner in which he did it, what he basically showed the team in doing it, it, it's it's almost as bad as him hiring probably the only real controversial strength and training coach in, in the United States. As if there are none of those and you only have like four <laughs> to choose from. You take that guy. I mean, it, it's just it. it's bizarre to me that he was able to do most of the things that he did, because in my opinion, they're, they're borderline fatal moves in a lot of cases for any other coach. And he's doing this from the start. And then on top of it. They, they can't beat anybody. They were terrible. To get rid of that and to bring in Doug Peterson, who is, again, ask around the league, one of the most respected, uh, not just coaches, X's no coach types, but leaders of men that you're going to find in this sport. To bring him in and give him a boatload of young talent with a massive amount of cap space and the ability to draw up everything that he wanted to do, this in my opinion, this team was gold from the beginning. I, I was I, I, surprised well, listen, more I'll, people weren't betting on him. I'll tell you what. First of all, it's funny you say that about Peterson because if you get back, it's not you don't have to get in the wayback machine, but you can dig up pieces from a couple years or so ago when Doug Peterson was showing the door in Philly. And I talked to people plugged in there, and a lot of people were like, were, were saying this is no surprise what Frank Reich's doing in Indy with the big when they when he made the scene and they took off immediately. People said he's the one that made that team go. Doug Peterson, figurehead kind of guy. Then you're getting into coordinator versus leader of men kind of stuff. And we see a big division between those things. But yes, hard to argue with the results so far with Doug Peterson, the rise of Trevor Lawrence, but the real secret sauce there, I guess it's not that secret, given all the high first round picks and otherwise that they've had over the years. But that defense ain't jive. That's, I mean, and it is funny how certain teams, how certain franchises in various sports have identities that persist through decades. The Jacksonville Jaguars, for a team that feels seven minutes old still when they're really what 20 what 27 28 years old they're that when they're at their best when they have their little mini eras they are defense dominant which is weird that they're in florida and they wear turquoise and all that but they are nevertheless this i mean do you think that the defense specifically i think it's easier to say trevor lawrence is going to continue to ascend here to his rightful place where he was projected but the defense is a little bit of a surprise how say you i i think a surprise in the jump from one year right 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 um, the way that Doug has managed all of that, and no, he may not be the one specifically calling the plays, but he is in- employing the coaches, holding them accountable to, to the things that they need to do. He has a share of that as well. But they've got some dudes on the defensive side in their their front seven in particular. They are really, really mm-hmm. good. And what I saw at least yesterday, and that was the first game I watched of, of the Jaguars live to this point, and they're my favorite team in the league now. They are so disciplined. They are so well coached w- within their scheme 
Uh, the Chargers had no answer for any of it at all. And Brandon Staley, I think, is a very good coach as well. He got destroyed yesterday. It was worse than the score indicated. That's how far ahead Peterson and the Jaguars were um, in, in terms of X's and O's. They're, they're, I, they're an advanced team. I don't see – come December, keep in mind, Lawrence Lawrence is, is a hellaciously talented quarterback. Nobody has ever denied that, and nobody ever will. But – we haven't seen him put it all together yet. We've seen him do pretty well up to this point. He's nowhere near his peak. And I don't think this team is either. Where are they going to be in December? You you keep this going. They're going to have some adversity. They're going to, you know, there's going to be an injury in there. Um, they'll, they'll go on a two-game losing streak, something like that. How they respond to that with what they're building now, you're going to see him go up even higher. And come December, that's going to be a real tough football team to beat. I, I agree. But the only slow your roll cynicism I can I can provide for everybody, and Will Brinson came on this show um, before things kicked off, and he said the Jags are my AFC South pick, and, and my jaw hit the floor. because Not because of anything other than it would be I maybe literally the most historic leap from season to season win total, I think, right? I mean, would I, for them to do it, if we're assuming to do seven, eight 10 games wins, is, is, yeah, but to get to 10 is not. just ridiculous. But I, I, how could they not win 10? I, I totally see them winning 10 right well, now. Well, the Titan, the Titans ain't good. The Texans, they, I feel like, are already starting to turn into the banana that we foresaw them to be. But yeah. yes, collective wisdom is uh, is fascinating how wrong it can be. Look at Christian Kirk and what he's done so far. Now the Miami Dolphins, mm-hmm. they're in first place. We could talk about that specifically, whether or not that's going to be a Twinkie of a division that the Dolphins will stay above the Bills the remainder. But Bigger picture, the Dolphins a factor, at least in playing in January um, with Tua and company, the way they're looking three weeks in here. Yeah, I think when you, you've you got a, a tandem of excellent receivers and a, a great pass-catching tight end, another uh, a vertical threat that they're barely even using right now, uh, Mike McDaniel is, is, is solidifying himself as a very strong Coach of the Year candidate. Um, Tua, we're seeing him play the kind of football you thought that he would when he first came into the league. He's got the arm strength. He's got the vision. They're putting the right tools around him in order to be successful. And going off a point made earlier, he knows how to throw the ball to athletic receivers in space in such a way that they can make a play after they catch the ball. And they're doing that. They're a threat all over the field. They're a great offensive team. And you can already see the impact of the the schematic change that they've made. They've got the pieces in place, and they have. They've, they've been a real... Uh, you know, tumultuous team uh, the last couple of years. But I think McDaniel gives them, you know, kind of a, a breath of fresh air, puts their quarterback in a position to succeed. They go out and make a, a blockbuster deal for a high-level player like like Tyreek Hill. And the two of them are, are ripping up the league. That's just going to be a really hard team to defend. And certainly, uh, it, you know, you don't need to tell Baltimore that. I, I think Buffalo did a good job uh, hemming a lot of that in. But they're still good enough to make the plays on a, a series-to-series basis. Uh, to control a game, to take over a game and, and put themselves in a position to win. And I, I think that's where Miami is. Also a team that's going to be tough to beat. I don't think their ceiling is what Jacksonville is, whether it's this year or next year, but Miami's going to uh, be there for the next couple seasons. Boy, oh boy, things move fast. Now Miami Dolphins, 3-0, and don't have as high a ceiling as the Jacksonville Jaguars, who were a punchline for the last few years. I'll, that's uh, I'll get ripped remarkable. for that, I'm sure, but I'm telling you. Well, I'll... I'll I'll just wrap it up with this to say on the AFC side of things. Well, actually, we have one more thing to talk about. But, uh, you know, I just hope that the Jags, if in fact the AFC title game is in Miami, they don't wear their turquoise pants because that'll be the <laughs> ugliest uniform matchup in title game history. If they if the home team has on their turquoise and then the Jags come in, they wear their turquoise. Eee, yuck, I may not be able to watch or I might have to watch it on black and white TV. Um <laughs> Very quickly before we talk Lamar Jackson, because that's really the main thing I wanted to talk with you about, and I've kicked it down the road here. But last thing, more confidence in either Jimmy Garoppolo's Niners or Russell Wilson's Broncos. Are you down on both of them? Man, what whatever is going on with Denver right now, I mean, everything I just I, – I leaped – heaped lavish praise on top of Doug Peterson. I don't know what Nathaniel Hackett is doing in Denver, just beyond clock management stuff. But Russell Wilson is not a pocket quarterback. And it it seems like he's being instructed with the same level of severity that the Steelers are are telling Trubisky, 
do not turn the ball over. They're, they're telling Russ, don't leave the pocket ever. Under no circumstances are you supposed to leave the pocket. And their offense is atrocious. I mean, they, they're not doing anything. They, they don't have any uh, fluidity to it. Drive to drive, quarter to quarter. It, it doesn't seem like they're doing anything well uh, on, on the offensive side. I, I don't have any faith in the Broncos now. Would you I mean, say, it, would you say then, so Kyle Shanahan is an offensive wizard, according to most. And, you know, he was willing to roll with Trey Lance, now making an adjustment to his old pal, Jimmy G. But, you know, I've always been in the nature versus nurture of pigskin. Give me the players and, and the coaching staff. We can figure out on the other side of things. But are we seeing the coaches winning is that the answer to the defense shutting down these QB so far in most situations mm-hmm. when you look at Mike McDaniel blowing up the league so far with the Dolphins there are a few exceptions that say you can still win with offense you know look at what the Bills are doing obviously they have a nice defense as well but you get my point that there are a few teams the the Baltimore Ravens another one of them that are putting things together offensively while most are languishing right now is this a a, a coach factor being larger than what it is in some seasons i guess i i don't think it's necessarily a coincidence that if let's just take hackett versus uh um peterson just with those two examples one is having a ton of success and one is having none throw mcdaniel into that as well um both mcdaniels Josh McDaniel not having any success, which which again really surprises me. Mike McDaniel's not surprised he's having the success that he's having. These are are pretty significant coaching hires that had strategic pieces in place to do the things that we would have thought that they're doing. Two of them are are right at that level, and two of them are way below board. It's hard to not say that there isn't a coaching impact going on. Dan Campbell in in Detroit. I, I was laughing hysterically when they wanted to go with Jared Goff. Jared Goff is is legitimately a, a, a high-level quarterback the way that he's playing right now. He's not going to put up the numbers, but keep he's Keep him effective. clean. You keep a quarterback nice and yep. clean back there. If you're a starting-level quarterback, you're going to make you're going to make out just fine. And mm-hmm. if that that is the number one detail. And that's why Jared Goff gets off this year, I think, right? It, it's that, and, and they, they run a ton of play action. And they can do play action successfully because they're running very well. And their running scheme is creative. It's very unique. Doug Farrar of Touchdown Wire just did a big piece on that yesterday. It, it, it's the efficiency in which they're running their entire offense. It's not players. For them, really, it's the scheme. It's not that they have bad players, but they're doing a great job of putting everybody together where they're supposed to. And frankly, if it wasn't for a really boneheaded coaching decision at the end of the game in, in, in week three against Minnesota, they're two and one right now. Detroit's a good football team. You, you can see the impact the coaching is having there. That's not the case necessarily everywhere, not to, to you know get into ranking coaches or anything. Um, some are doing a better job putting what we would normally think as, as individual players who are average uh, into better positions uh, to, to be successful within the game. Um, some are doing worse of that. I would, again, I would have thought the Raiders would be a lot better than than they've showed us to be right now. Um, look at Mike Vrabel in Tennessee, probably the most volatile coach in the NFL. He wins those close games all the time, and they do it so ugly all the time. But he usually has something that, that's just outstanding uh, going week to week. I think they should be 0-3. They're really not a good team. I mean, look at, at, at Matt Eberflus in Chicago. Justin Fields is somehow worse than Mitch Trubisky. How do they how do they manage that? They traded up for for uh, Justin Fields, and two coaches now have not been able to make hay with the guy at all, and it, it doesn't make any sense. Coaching is is always going to be a part of it, but when the rubber meets the road, it's about the dudes you have on the field and the plays that they're able to make. You have to put them into those positions, but you aren't able to scheme champions out of below average players. It, it's it's as simple as that. You should be able to find coaches who can make – coaches should be able to get run with high-level players. So if you identify the players, it should be easier to find the coaches. Okay. That, that would brings just us, be my thought. That brings us all full circle back to John Harbaugh and his quarterback. John Harbaugh's job saved <laughs> by Lamar Jackson when he was inserted. Joe Flacco got hurt. A going-nowhere Ravens team in 2018 – uh, L. Jax gets put in put in there. Next thing you know, they make the playoffs. Season after that, 14-2, and two, MVP and all of that. It's been mostly sunshine. 2021, a little disappointing with the injury to Lamar Jackson and a bunch of other guys on the Ravens, but a successful 
run at an alternative approach to offense in pro football. The whole thing is kind of built around Lamar Jackson's skill set and all of that. And somehow they didn't make a deal. Now, you and me both thought, this is crazy. Um, You know, I think I'm a little um, more offended on behalf of Lamar Jackson in the sense that, you know, the pushback you get is, well, Dak Prescott had a terrible ankle injury and they signed him. That didn't dent the deal that he got long term from the Cowboys. But they're two different guys. Lamar Jackson, if he had a horrific, you know, uh, you know, whatever, terrible leg injury or whatever, more of his game is predicated on that. And rightly, teams would kind of back off and be like, well, we got to see it now, what he looks like before we, you know, fork over $200 million guaranteed or whatever it might end up being. This feels like they're going to tag him. And we've, you and me have both gotten some pushback from some cynics out there, but I stand by it. I think this is a mistake. I think it's a headache PR wise. I think that you can diminish the fans and say, oh, the fans are going to be mad is not a reason. That's not a negotiating tactic. Yes, it is. Of course, it's a negotiating <laughs> tactic. If the entire city is, is rebelling against what the organization is doing against the most popular and distinctive player in the league, then yeah, I think it will be a factor if he starts making noise about the organization. Organization. I also caution against that because typically fans ride with the brand of the team versus the individual player. So I don't know how it all resolves itself. MVP level season so far. Where do you think this all shakes out? I, I just think it, it boils down to this for me. <clears throat> there is no way you evaluated Lamar Jackson in college and thought this is a player who is going to be statuesque in the pocket and will not run unless we tell him to run. It, it's it's clearly uh, it, it, a large part of his game. It's not all of his game, but it's a large part of his game, and it's really what makes him such a unique player. You went out, went and brought in an offensive coordinator to handle a running quarterback. You have overhauled and redesigned your offensive line and completely redid your entire scheme around the idea that your quarterback is able to run through gaps A, B, and C. You did all of these things. If you're going to say now that he's won you an MVP, he's on his way to winning a second MVP, and he's, he's making Baltimore, which doesn't have a good defense right now, one of the scarier teams to have to play in the NFL, all really because of Lamar Jackson. If you aren't going to pay him top of market salary, why did you draft him? They, that, that had to have gone through your mind at some point. You had to have said, what happens five years down the line He's doing really well doing all these things that we've built him to do. What I mean by that is we set up the structure around him so we could do these things. We're going to have to pay him. Can we say at that point we don't want to because he might get hurt and that might diminish who he is today? If that's the case, why did you draft him? 31 other teams didn't draft him. And I'll bet part of the reason was that exact question. We don't want to have to eventually give the, the fastest rising salary position in the league, which is still by far and away the highest paid position in the league, uh, this much money, whatever it's going to be five years down from now. If we don't want to do that, we shouldn't draft them. And they did. And here they are. And now you're going to say the tag. He's not, he's not going to show up next year for training camp. What are you going to do if you don't have your quarterback through training camp? He's not going to show up and sign the tag. He's, he's basically told you that already. He's not going to let you pigeonhole him because He's also aware of what his shelf life is in the NFL. And yes, it absolutely is true. Like any player, if they get a certain injury, they might not be the same type of guy. Lamar's risk is different because, he one, he's not very big. He's susceptible to that kind of thing, and he's going to run a lot. Do you see how many 100-yard rushing games he has right now? It's insane. He's going to lead it's the league. It's crazy, and in, I'm, in I'm tracking it out. I'm tracking to lose that bet. After week one, I declared it uh, uh, a Twinkie of an approach for Lamar Jackson this year, which is he's not going to run nearly as much as he has over the course of his career. Now he's at 255, fifth in the league overall in rushing yards. I think he's going to end up getting past the 900 um, 900 rush yards. I think I bet the under on. Uh, he's, he's tracking the blow past that by midseason at worst. Um, yeah, it's really interesting because I get the risk of, uh, of investing in that long term, especially guaranteed, but... You're pot committed now. And to your point about structuring everything around that, like you can keep kicking it down the road. 
I, I, you can't endlessly do it, but you could tag him theoretically for a couple more years after this one. I, I wonder, though, at what point the individual says, no, I'm not I'm, I'm not going to show up and do that. And then you're scuttling a season. And I don't think the football town and season ticket holders who can evaluate what's going on. This is not a system, as you say, that you just plug somebody else in there and they don't skip a beat, it would, nope. you know, that would be the end of not, it. It would, it not would spiral even down fans. fast that way. It, not even just the fans or the media that are going to rip them to shreds on a daily basis. Every player in that locker room is going right. to be asked about it constantly. What free agent wants to go to Baltimore if Tyler Huntley is their quarterback because Baltimore doesn't want to pay Lamar Jackson? The the very it, You have to say likely right now, two-time NFL MVP. Wow, let's not get crazy, friend. You're three weeks in. Let's not go nuts, but at the very least, you know that he has that ability. He's proved that he has that ability. He's not going to be far from an MVP season, for reasonably speaking, for the next two years. We we can say that fairly, I think. You don't want to sign him. You come sign here. I think he deserves the money. I think he's earned it. I, you know, people, I think it's circumstantial, mostly the whole lack of playoff success. I think, though, about if they played the Jags as a, for instance, that fast front seven, I think that would that would limit what Lamar Jackson does. I would take the Jags just, you know, off the top of my head right now. If you tell me, oh, yeah, they're going to meet in the divisional round, I would take the Jags. So, you know, but with all the changes that we'll see, what the, what Twinkies and Bananas reveal themselves between now and January, we'll have to see. In the meantime, Neil Coolong, gangbusters as always. I'm glad we dialed you up to try and bring some level-headed. Cool is your name. You're not a hot taker. You're a cool taker. Do you ever think about doing that? The Coolong taker. I, Something I, like what that? What did I do once before? I did the long and the short. Or the short and the long with Neil Coolong was a, was a college column staple that lasted three weeks. That, uh, I think the vapid hot takers, though, you, you're you the counter to that. You know, you're the, you're the make good on all the hot takes. Everybody has to <laughs> has to drink in week after well, week in pro football. I, season. I appreciate that. I enjoy a reasonable headed, a reasonably level headed viewpoint of things that happen in our dear NFL. Well, it's, then you have come to product, the wrong place. You've just wasted the better part of an hour talking to somebody who is not capable of that. But either way, we appreciate you, Coolong. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, Pally? Definitely. Thanks for having me. All right. USA Today Sports Media Group, NFL Wire Network. You're reading it all the time, whether you realize it or not. Great stuff from Coolong and company. Let me interrupt and squeeze in another quick break here. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Boy, good stuff. Overarching look at uh, where we are three weeks in. And I have big news as far as that goes, Spaghetti. There's some consistency to what we've seen from week two to week three. So I'd be crazy after saying Tua and that team's for real and the Jags, that team looks like they're for real to say the Giants, that's a fraud. I don't think that they're a world beater. I don't think they're going to the Super Bowl, but I do think I'm ready to now change my pick. Giants over Cowboys on Monday Night Football. Well, I appreciate that. I do agree with you. I mean, we talk about every offseason. There's always that team that goes from the third or fourth place spot, bottom of the barrel, to then the top. And we're seeing that now with the Giants. And I think their schedule early on is very, very favorable, especially next week versus the, the Bears, who have some serious problems with Justin Fields. Right now, with uh, Cooper Rush, a quarterback, you know, and, and Sal and the guys on AAO, we're all saying, you know, Daniel Jones stinks, this and that. But, 
it's not Dak Prescott playing. It's a different, it's Cooper Rush. It's it's one of the lesser That's backups right. in the league. Zeke is a finished product. And you're, you're now scrambling around your offensive line. The Giants are getting their edge rushers back. And their defense has been great. The defense is what's holding guys down. Uh, Adoree Jackson's been playing awesome. They're going to lock him up on CeeDee Lamb. So with with Kayvon Thibodeau back, Aziz Ojolari back, I like the Giants in this game. I think, you know, the whiteout, the crowd will be going crazy. Saquon has been awesome this year. They're going to ride him to this victory. I can see them win by, you know, 10 to 13 points. Even the Cowboys are getting I, we talk about coaching with Kulong, but pedigree still wins. You know, you people, the Jerry Seinfeld thing about rooting for uniforms. As it turns out, when different guys wear the uniform that superstars wear, the results tend to be different and not as good. And, you know, the others, uh, Thibodeau is playing. I mean, he was, he, there was a, remember all the, remember all the excitement around that pick and everything? Well, okay, now he's making the scene. Don't you think he makes some difference to a Giants defense that's already performing better than most people thought? I, I, I'm i taking your team. It's Cooper Rush. That's the point. I mean, like, you, you can get bogged down with whatever else you want to talk about. It's Cooper Rush. That's what we're talking about, and it should be a festive atmosphere. Maybe Judge will pop up on the uh, big screen and hit a home run right in the minute to juice uh, to juice the crowd a little bit. The only thing you don't want is, Mike Apar- is to get Micah Parsons. You don't want the oxygen being sucked out of there by you guys having three points at the half because Micah Parsons dominates too much. But avoid. Uh, uh, other than that, should be just a, a, a festive atmosphere in um, in NYC yeah, or New I, Jersey. I, I, I think. Tonight. I think even with Micah Parsons, even if Micah Parsons gets, you know, a few, a couple of sacks here and there. I mean, like the Titans game week one, like Simmons was in Daniel Jones's face every single pass play. That's exactly why through the interception that he intended for Saquon Barkley in the, end, in the end zone because of that. So like, I think they'll survive that if he does beat Evan Neal on the rush coming off the right side. So I'm not, you know, Parsons is great. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think he's going to dictate the outcome of this game. I think the problem is just the lack of talent the Cowboys have right now. The Giants, like, four of 22 on third down they're allowing versus teams 18 percent like the teams are just not converting on third down wing Mardell's defense is insane and uh, I, I just think with the legs of Saquon they're gonna they're able to do it they're gonna win this game I think handily versus a banged up Cowboys team I don't know why so many people are on the Cowboys now because uh, look it, it's like you said it happens teams go from last to first a lot and uh, I think this is a game the Giants have to win to finally break that primetime streak break the Cowboys streak they really need this one so uh, I'm all in on the Giants tonight well yeah I mean you know what and by the way, last thought is, um, you know, look at what the Cowboys did to the Bengals. The practical matchup at the line of scrimmage was bad for Cincinnati in week two, and the Cowboys won the game as a result of that. Now you have the Giants um, going against uh, the Cowboys front that, or, or offensive line, which is, uh, you know, a shadow of what it was three, four years ago. And, you know, is Thibodeau and Ojolari, do they make a difference to a, to to what is a really high pedigree front seven? So I'm rolling with you guys, and uh, and that's that. We'll see how that turns out. We'll see what the rest of the season holds for the Patriots. Maybe they'll go out and sign a quarterback by the next time. We kibitz on minus three with our guy Kevin Hench in the meantime. Great thanks to Eddie Spaghetti and our guest Neil Kulong. Good stuff there. Make sure you're checking out everything on the Extra Points Network, playing along with us, against us at extrapoints.com in the arcade and until thursday thanks so much sports fans it's been a thin slice of heaven